nobody should sell you a job. So if somebody is promising you a job offer, you need to know for you to be able to do this job or for the employer to be able to give you this job offer, would the employer be required to have a labor market impact assessment? If the answer is yes. So did this employer obtain a labor market impact assessment? So if the answer is no, then it's not likely that this is a valid job offer. Hey friends, thank you so much for stopping by to listen. This is the Unfiltered Real Talk podcast where we highlight Afrocentric experience with the goal of provoking deeper thinking, shifting mindsets, and inspiring change for better living. I'm your host, EJ, and I am looking forward to sharing stories together that will inspire you. I would love to hear from you, so follow me on social media at Unreal Talk Pod. Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. You can listen wherever you get podcasts, and that includes Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major listening platforms. The podcast is also on YouTube, so make sure you stop by, subscribe, and check it out. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and I hope you continue to do what is right and kind. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited to be here today with one of my friends that I met not too long ago. Today, actually, we are talking about coming to Canada. So not coming to America, but coming to Canada. Immigrating to Canada, because a lot of people have asked me to talk about that. So with me to chat about this is an immigration consultant, David Akimolua. He is the principal immigration consultant at Crest Immigration Services in Edmonton here in Alberta. He has a background in economics and is a master's degree holder in quantitative finance. David, welcome to my show. How are you? Hi, IJ. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I want to start by talking about your degree. Like, seriously, quantitative finance. Like, isn't finance already quantitative? So, how is this different than a regular financial degree? I just I have to ask. Well, you know, I want to know. It's still finance, you know. Well, finance has different aspects, right? So some aspects of finance are more quantitative than others. So, I mean, this is yeah. essentially saying that, uh, you know, it's mathematical finance applications of mathematics. <laughs> and have a degree in finance without doing a lot of mathematics, but this particular uh, degree focuses on the applications of mathematics, oh. you know, in different areas of finance. I did not think that you could do anything in finance that did not involve math. Like, I didn't think there was any area in finance that isn't a lot of computation and calculations. So thank you for explaining that. And even my head is hurting just thinking about the amount of math that you'd have had to do in this master's program. Like, my head is exploding. <laughs> Well, you know, every academic program has its own challenges, right? So, I mean, it's That's just one it. of those, right? So, Yeah, you're on a different level, though. You're on another level. But, David, I'm so happy to have you here once again. Thank you for giving me your time today. This is a topic that is hot topic, I think, any day, anywhere, anytime. Everybody wants to come to Canada, and um, there's always questions around it. And, of course, with COVID, things have changed a little bit. So I wanted to chat with an expert about this, and uh, let's get into the conversation right away. So 
tell us what are the main streams of coming into Canada and possibly which one is easiest to come to Canada? Yeah, so thanks once again for having me. Yeah, this is uh, a question that I get almost every now and then, you know, from many people across, uh, you know, different parts of the world. They want to immigrate to Canada and they want to know what are the different uh, pathways for them that, you know, that can bring them to Canada and which one is the easiest, right? So well, what I say is uh, there's really no direct answer to that question. So it all depends, right, on your profile. That's something like an economist, you know. it all depends. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> economist is all about assumptions, right? You know? Yeah. So it all depends on uh, your profile as an applicant, right? an individual applicant. So all applicants don't have exactly the same profile. So usually when people contact me and ask me such questions, I like to kind of have a better understanding of their profile. When I say profile, I mean, Things like uh, your educational qualifications, you know, your work experience, your age, you know, your language proficiency and things like that, you know. Or some of that things we call adapt adaptability. Do you have family members or relatives in Canada? Yeah. Or in some cases, right, for some provinces, you know, do you have a friend who lives in a particular province or, you know, something like that. So it depends largely on what your profile is as an individual applicant so once we understand your profile we can then go on to um, you know uh, explain to you what the likely options could be right so for different people they will likely have different options right so but i know um, generally when people contact us mm -hmm. from having conversations with them then i get to realize that uh, most of them when they ask you what uh, programs you are qualified for, or, you know, which one is the easier way to come to Canada, I think that uh, oftentimes they are referring to those programs that have been managed through the express entry system, right? Uh -huh. So um, and people tend to confuse express, express entry system with uh, programs, right? So just to be clear, express entry system is not an immigration program on its own. Right, there's oh. no immigration pathway that is called express entry. So instead, express entry is just an application system that is used to manage a number of immigration programs. So for example, we have a program like the Federal Skill Worker Program. And when then we have another program, the Canadian Experience Class. And of course, we've got the Federal Skill Trades Class. Right? So these are different immigration, economic immigration programs, right? That are managed through the express entry system. So Express Entry is just an electronic applications management system, right? So you go in there, you put your profile into the pool, and then, you know, they determine which of these three programs, you know, they determine which of the programs you qualify for, right? And then you can be considered under any of those three programs, right? Yeah, so to kind of go back to your question again, so what um, you qualify for as a you know, as a candidate or an applicant would, it, would depend on your profile, right? your educational qualifications, your age, your work experience, maybe you have a relative in Canada. So there's really no, you know, straight answer to that question, yeah, if I may say, right? Answer. Yeah. So it depends on those factors. So basically what I'm hearing is if someone's telling you that there's a particular easy way to get to Canada, 
you should be looking at that person with one kind eye. For sure, right? So for us, we like to, I believe that, uh, you know, like many other professionals, we like to be very honest with um, our clients in telling them, yeah, you know, you want to immigrate to Canada, come, let's talk, let's have a consultation so that we have a better understanding of your situation or your profile. And based on that understanding, as well as based on our own knowledge and experience with the different immigration programs, we'll be able to recommend to you you know the most viable option right that meets your needs yeah okay so while one is looking at that viable option and exploring whether or not they want to come to canada what would you say in your expertise then are the first key things that they need to do before they immigrate to canada yeah i would say that uh, for you before you immigrate into Canada, or if you are considering immigrating to Canada, it's always a good idea to make sure that you are talking to the right people, right? Because of course, you know, we know that Canada is a popular destination for many people around the world. So we also, we are aware that uh, there are a lot of uh, scammers out there, you know, who will say, yeah, come to Canada, you know, come to us. If you want to go to Canada by Christmas, you know, we have different packages for you and things like that, right? So it's important to make sure that uh, you talk to the right person. And it's important for a number of factors, right? Because number one, of course, immigration is a, could be a costly endeavor for a number of people or for many people, right? It is also a very important decision, right? Because you are leaving your country behind. Oftentimes you are leaving your family, you know, the people you've known for all of your lives, you know, you're leaving them behind to come to this new country, right? You're leaving your job and maybe your business and things like that to come into a new country. So it's a very huge decision right, that you'll be making. So it's uh, always very important to make sure that you do it right. And the first step in that process is make sure that you talk to you know, the right people, the right professionals who can help you. Absolutely. And then the follow-up question that I have with that is, like, how much money on average would that cost then? It depends, right, on the size of your family. And it also depends on the program, right, that you're applying for. So, for example, somebody who, you know, wants to come to Canada to study. So coming to Canada is not really considered immigration. But uh, the fact is that a lot of people who come to Canada to study, they also have a plan to live in Canada permanently, right, or to immigrate mm -hmm. to Canada. So if you want to study in Canada, so you have to think about, you know, how much does it cost to study? What program do you want to study? What school would you like to attend and how much? Is that program right and then on top of how much the program costs you also need to think about your living expenses in canada right so are you coming by yourself or are you married or you are in, in this sort of a relationship so are you coming with your family so that will also go a long way in determining how much it will cost you right so and if you are immigrating and let's assume that you are applying under the federal skilled worker category right so in that program so Essentially, this is a program for professionals, right? So generally, you need to have some high level of education, at least a two-year diploma. Of course, we have a lot of people who have more than that. We have people with a bachelor degree, master's degree, PhD, and, you know, all the professional occupations, right? So you have to have that level of education. And also, you need to make sure you have the language proficiency required. So if you apply under the Federal Skill Worker Category Program, under the Federal Skill Worker category, you generally need to have at least a, a language benchmark of level seven, right? So you have to prove that by writing the IELTS exam or you write the other forms of uh, language exams that are acceptable. And uh, yeah, so how much 
uh, it will cost you will depend on the size of your family. And of course, there's the medical examination that you need to do as well. So the costs, you know, apart from the regular application fees, right? So you have all those additional costs, you know, in some countries, yeah. you know, you need to, it may be, it may cost a little more than others. So for example, to get police clearance. So all of those also have to be considered, right? And of course, you have to do credential evaluation because mm -hmm. in Canada, you know, as we all know, right? So every, almost every country has a different educational system. So what Canada has done is if you want to immigrate to Canada, you'll be required to send your credentials, your academic qualifications to one of the designated organizations. Right? You send it there and then they evaluate your credentials and then they tell you that your bachelor degree from Nigeria or your bachelor degree from you know, India or Kenya is equivalent to a four-year bachelor degree in Canada. And then you okay. get the points that correspond to a bachelor degree. Yeah, so the Federal Skill Worker Program is based on points, right? So for your, you get points for your education, you get points for your language proficiency, you get points for your work experience, you get points if you have relatives in Canada or if you studied in Canada at some point, or maybe you worked in Canada at some point, so you get points for all of this, right? So at the end of the day, your points are added together and then we give you, you get the total scores and then you go into the pool, the express entry pool, right? And then you are ranked alongside the other applicants in that pool. And uh, if you are successful, you get an invite, uh, an invitation to apply for permanent residence in Canada. So while you are completing your express entry profile, you need to answer questions, for example, how many people are, what is the size of your family? Family. Right? Yeah. And while you are answering that questions, then you also need to answer questions in terms questions relating to how much funds that you have and that you can bring with you to Canada, right? So that depends largely on the size of your family and how many people are included in your application. Sorry, that's uh, a longer answer to your question. Yeah, no, that's okay. So what I'm, so I basically if you don't, yeah, so basically money is an, is an issue. So if you don't have the money, your application could be stalled or you might just want to wait until you have the money because that sounds like there's a lot of money involved in that process. So yeah. with regard to job that you were talking about earlier, how does one then get an, a job? Because I've had questions where people ask, oh, I want to come to Canada through the skilled work, through the skilled work stream, but they need a job offer. Yeah, for sure. So if you are in the express entry pool and, um, you know, you have a job offer from a Canadian employer, so that can give you additional points, which can boost your uh, chances of immigrating to Canada. And also if you have a job offer, a valid job offer, so let's underline that if you have a valid job offer, that can also enable you to apply for a work permit to come to Canada. So now, yes, I get these questions all the time from so many people. Oh, can you help me get a job offer? Oh, I got a job offer. Mm. I just need a work permit. Can you help me apply for my work permit and things like yeah. that, right? So there are a lot of people around the world, you know, unfortunately, who are going about promising people, you know, job offers or selling job offers. Yeah, I've right? heard about that. You know, I've so, heard about that. Um, considering that, uh, you know, the, for a lot of people who want to immigrate, you know, you know, it's not, it costs a lot of money for them to immigrate. And of course, it's not a very easy decision that they are taking to leave the country that, you know, to leave their home countries, right, for Canada, right? So they have to be careful, you know, when dealing with this issue of job offer so that you do not invest your scarce resources. For a lot of, for some people, they've been saving up for this um, project for maybe a number of years or, you know, for many months, right? So if you are not careful, if they are not careful enough, there's the risk that uh, they can lose their savings or 
to all these people who go about selling job offers or promising you know, job offers. So for you to, for a job offer to be valid, generally, you know, especially if you are outside of Canada, right? So there's something we call the labor market impact assessment, right? So essentially what this is, is that the government of Canada has decided, okay, yeah, Canadian employers or companies, you can hire people from abroad if you cannot find a worker, you know, a suitable person to do the job that you need, the job that you need to be done. If you can find a suitable person within Canada to do that job, you may be able to hire somebody from abroad to do that. However, there's a process for that, right? So essentially you have to make sure, you have to convince the federal government, the government of Canada, that I tried to get somebody from Canada to do this job, but I could not find a suitable candidate to do this job. So I need an approval or a permission to go abroad or to look abroad in order to hire somebody, right? So it's not always an easy process, right? Because of course, there are some requirements you'll be required to have advertised the job, you know, for a period of time, and you must have advertised the job on different uh, types of uh, media, right, to make sure that people in Canada have the opportunity to respond to your advertisement, try right, to apply for these jobs, right? So, and of course, you have to pay some application fee to the federal government, to the government of Canada to process your LMIA, what we call the LMIA or the labor market impact assessment. And then after the federal government has gone through your application, if they approve you, so you get that approval or the authorization to employ somebody to give, you know, to hire somebody from outside of Canada. And then once you hire that person, the person needs to apply for a work permit in order to come to, to travel to Canada and do the job, right? So it's not, as, it's not always as easy as uh, some people make it seem that, oh yeah, you get a job offer, you can come to Canada or yeah. things like that, right? So, you, so if somebody is promising you a job offer, you need to know for you to be able to do this job or for the employer to be able to give you this job offer, you know, would the employer be required to have a labor market impact assessment? If the answer is yes. So did this employer obtain a labor market impact assessment? So if the answer is no, then it's not likely that this is a valid job offer. So you should be careful. Right? And also, I mean, nobody should sell you a job, right? So if someone starts to tell you that you need to pay $10,000 or $20,000, in order to get a job in Canada, then you need to think carefully about that. I'm an immigration consultant, but my uh, my responsibilities, you know, do not include, you know, job search for potential immigrants or for people looking for a job in Canada. However, if you find, a, if you have a job offer and you need help with applying for a work permit in Canada, we can assist you through that process. Thank yeah. you. And this is a good segue to talk about some of the things that can jeopardize your application. So for those people who are looking to immigrate to Canada or move to Canada for school or for visit or whatever else, what are some of the things that, you know, we should be careful for? You've already mentioned one. So if people are selling you a job offer, you should be thinking twice before you accept. So can you mention other things as well, the core things, especially that you've seen in your work? One of the things that I've seen in recent times is uh, misrepresentation on applications. So essentially when people are not telling the truth right, about their circumstances, when they are applying for a visa or to immigrate to Canada, to travel to Canada or to immigrate to Canada. Yeah. So particularly, this is very common for people applying for, you know, visitor visas, people applying to study in Canada. So, you know, everyone should know that uh, 
Canada shares information with a number of countries, right? particularly the United States, Australia, and New Zealand, and to some extent the UK. Right. So if you have applied for, you know, to travel to these countries, you know, when you do your Canadian visa application, there's always that question asking if you had applied for a visa or if you had been refused a visa to another country before. So if you had been refused a visa to the US, I mean, it's not a crime, right, mm -hmm. to have been refused a visa. So you just need to mention or state that, yes, I was, I applied for a visa to the US to visit the US in 2019 and my application was refused. You know, you can just leave it at that. You don't need to provide anything elaborate, right? However, if you do not provide that information, so when you submit your application, Canada is going to check your application against the US database. And of course, that information is going to come out, right? So that could lead to refusal of your application, right? Because that will be considered or could be considered as misrepresentation. And of course, in some cases, it's not always, it is not always the case that people intended to misrepresent or to lie. Sometimes people forgot, people actually forget to put such information, you know, about their previous refuser, right? So normally, so when the Canada, Canadian visa officers are processing your application and they realize there's a situation like that. So normally they contact you and ask you to explain Right, why you omitted, you know, to state this information. So yeah, you know, if you, if it was, you know, if that occurred as an omission, you could explain. But if they are not satisfied, they can refuse your application. Not only would they refuse your application, they may give you a five-year ban. Right? Wow. So which means that uh, you will not be able to apply, apply for five to, years. you know, to travel and immigrate to Canada for five years, and even after five years. I mean, yes, your wow. ban will be lifted after five years, but that is always going to be on your file, right? So, which may continue to haunt you. So that's one of the common mistakes that uh, people make when they are applying to travel to Canada, right? So that is something people need to pay close attention to. And of course, the other part of that is uh, there's a popular program as well, we call the Provincial Nomination Program, right? So this Provincial Nomination Program, as you know, Canada has 10 provinces and each province has a very different economy, economy, right? So, you know, you go to Ontario, the structure of the Ontario's economy is different than what you have in a province like, in, you know, Nova Scotia, or you come to the uh, British Columbia and other. So every province has different economy. And the implication of that is that the, the labor market needs of each economy is different, right? So in Alberta, for example, you know, the labor market dynamics will be different than what you have in British Columbia and, you know, Excellent. and other parts of the country, right? So the provincial nomination program allows this province, allows each province to be able to select and recruit immigrants, you know, for the, to meet their labor needs, right? So for some of the provinces, for example, in Saskatchewan and Manitoba, so generally if you're applying for nomination in those places, right, you, sub, you know, if you have ties to those provinces, for example, if you have a family member who lives in that province, right, so you may get additional points. In Saskatchewan, for example, if you have a family member who lives in that province who has a permanent residence or citizen and has lived in that place for at least one year, so you may get additional points, right, which can enable you to meet the requirements for provincial nomination in that province. So one thing that I have noticed in recent times is a lot of people, you know, contacting me and asking, oh, yes. you know, I want to immigrate to Saskatchewan, right? Can you help me get a relative in Saskatchewan? 
So, well, unfortunately, <laughs> I, I cannot help you to procure a relative in Saskatchewan. <laughs> no right? so, and I do not advise you to do that because, um, I mean, when people are doing these things, they tend to focus on the immediate, which is to come to Canada, right? But there could be long-lasting consequences, right, you know, for Absolutely. this action. So, for example, even if you succeed in immigrating to Canada, you procure a relative in Saskatchewan. I like the know, way you say procure a relative. You know, what that's essentially oh, what it is, right? So you procure yeah. yourself for yourself a relative in Saskatchewan, and because of that, you get more points, and then you become a, you get provincial nomination, and ultimately you become a permanent resident in Saskatchewan, and then eventually you become a Canadian citizen. If if at some point in the future it ever comes out that you obtained your provincial nomination in the province through you know. Your procured relative. You can say through procurement or through this. <laughs> I gotta uh, use that word, David. You know, I love it. Or through this um, this kind of way, then of course the government the government of Canada can revoke your citizenship because it means that everything was built on fraud, a lie. right? Yeah. And even in Saskatchewan and Manitoba, when they are processing your applications, so they will generally try to verify the nature of your relationship with that resident in the province or you know so if along the line they find out of course they will ban you from participating in their program or even if they don't find out at that stage if you succeed and at some point you become a canadian citizen your citizenship can still be revoked right for fraud and Absolutely. things like that right so people have to be very careful right so yeah i do get a lot of questions a lot of people contacting me about that here yeah. you know i have everything the only thing i need now is just to get a relative in Saskatchewan, <laughs> Manitoba. Well, I'm sorry, right? If you don't have a relative there, I can't get you a relative, right? So yeah. that is uh, another mistake that people make when they are applying for immigration. And maybe I will also touch on uh, um, student visas or study permit applications, right? Because that is also very popular. A lot of people are applying for that. So when the visa officers are reviewing a study permit application, they look mm -hmm. for a number of things. So number one, they want to know that uh, you are you know, actually going to be a student, right? You are not just um, applying, you are not kind of hiding under student application to immigrate to Canada. Yes, Canada knows that a lot of people, you know, apply to study in Canada and ultimately they want to continue to live in Canada. Myself, I came to Canada as a student and eventually I went through the process, you know, became a permanent resident and a Canadian citizen, right? So Canada is aware of that, right? So, but when you are applying for visa, you still need to convince them that your student visa application you know is not for immigration purpose right you are not applying to study in canada because you want to immigrate yes there may be some instances right where you are applying for student visa with the purpose of you know with the ultimate goal to immigrate but in many cases when they are reviewing your application you need to convince them that yes i am a you know bona fide student Right. And uh, in order to prove that, you need to meet a number of requirements, one of which is uh, you need to explain clearly why you want to study in Canada, what you want to study and why is it that you have to do a study plan. Right. So essentially, yeah. and the study plan will explain why do you want to study in Canada? What do you want to study in Canada? Why are you not undertaking similar program in your country? Is it that, you know, these programs are not available in your country or are there some other important reasons why you think it's better for you to do this program in Canada versus doing it in your country, right? So 
And of course, you need to show proof of funds that you have the funds to pay your school fees and living expenses in Canada. So what I am trying to drive at, drive at here is that a lot of people, when they do their applications, they do not put enough effort into writing a study plan. And this is very, very important. So if your study plan is not strong and solid enough, it is very likely that, that your application will be refused. Right? So when writing this, when applying to study in Canada, pay attention right, to writing a good study plan. Otherwise, your application may be refused. Even after you were already accepted by the school. Oh yeah, I've, yeah. Well, yeah, I've being accepted by the school is not, uh, you know, it doesn't mean that your application. It's a separate process. Absolutely. It doesn't mean that your application cannot be refused. For sure, you need to get admission into a program at uh, an accredited college or university, and then of course you apply for your visa or your study permit. And so, as part of that study permit application process, you know they will evaluate your application. You know, look at you know is this person a real student right so and the way you convince them that you are a real student is through your study plan you know you have to make sure that the study plan is strong enough yeah thank you something else that i want you to touch on uh, is with regard to things that can jeopardize your application is people who come here and they claim that you're relative to somebody so somebody sponsors them as a spouse or uh, or you know, a child or something, but then you're not. This is just some, you know, distant relative or friend, and you help that person to come to this part of the world based on false information. So I wanted if you I wondered if you can also touch on that as well about the repercussion of you know engaging that kind of fraudulent information. And then there's also the issue about people pulling funds to show proof of financial status. So I'm wondering mm -hmm. also with that piece, is there any issue there? So I know that sometimes because the money that is expected is a lot. So for example, for students, many of them hope that when they get here, they can work and pay for the rest of whatever is owing. So mm -hmm. I know that they can't work full time, but they can at least work for a little bit you know, of hours that can help with your fees. Mm -hmm. So, but when you're coming, they don't have all that money. And so they borrow this money, reflect it in their bank account, submit your application, and then they give all the money back to whoever, right? Yeah. Are there any issues with that kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. So um, thanks for that. So to go back to the first question around family sponsorship, right? So, yeah. So that is another important way through which people come to Canada, right? So people sponsor their spouses, or, you know, or their dependent uh, uh, relatives, maybe an orphan relative or, you know, something like that. So that happens a lot, right? So, but it's very important to know that, uh, or maybe even through supervisor, people, you know, apply for their parents or grandparents to come to Canada, right? So it is important to know that uh, there are implications for you when you undertake to sponsor somebody to come to Canada. So, because Canada does not want people to come here, you know, and then end up receiving social assistance, right? Absolutely. No so, country wants that, yeah, I don't think. Yeah. yeah. So, that is why they ask that the sponsor has to make an undertaking, right, for the person that they are sponsoring. So, and, uh, okay. you know, depending on the person you are sponsoring, the undertaking varies in terms of the length, how many years you undertake to support this person, right? So, if the person should go and assess social assistance after coming to Canada while that uh, undertaking is still in place. So the government may come after you, the sponsor, right? To, wow. to make sure that uh, you pay, right? You reimburse the government for 
whatever social assistance. Social... Are yes. you serious? So that is why it is important to make sure that uh, you know you pay attention to that when you are sponsoring somebody. Okay. Be careful. Make sure that uh, you know you are doing it with. Uh, honest intent, you know, maybe if the person is really a relative, yes. But if you get paid to sponsor somebody or to claim, you know, if somebody is procuring you as a relative, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> my favorite so word, this, you should this know podcast that, uh, should be totally called procuring a relative. Yeah. So oh, yeah. you should know that uh, yeah. having that person in Canada is not the end of it all, right? So you continue, may continue to be liable, right, for whatever that person does in terms of uh, seeking social assistance and things like that. So it's very important to make sure that, uh, yeah, you know who you are sponsoring and uh, to understand the implications, right? When you are David, sponsoring just somebody. Just before you answer the second part of my question, I just thought of something that I know happened to somebody. So what if you did bring that person with good intention? So the person, maybe you sponsored them to come here to come visit. They came with very good intentions, but now they don't want to leave. Yeah. And you're claiming refugee status, and we know that you're not refugee. So what is that sponsor supposed to do now? Yeah, yeah, it depends. So if you just invited somebody to visit, you haven't really sponsored that person, right? So okay. if the person decides to apply or file for refugee, I mean, yeah, then you are not really responsible for what that person does, okay. right? So, but if you sponsored or you got your mother or your parent or grandparent to come here on a super visa, Right, mm -hmm. and then the person then goes and make recourse to social assistance, then that gotcha. can come back to haunt you, right? Or maybe you even sponsor a spouse, right? I mean, there have been many instances where you sponsored somebody sponsored a spouse, and then the, the person gets here, the sponsored person gets here, and the relationship does not work out, you know, mm. and then you know they get separated and things like that, you know. So it has implications, even apart from the financial implications, right? So what it means is that if you sponsor somebody and the and things go bad, you know, you may not be able to sponsor another person for quite a while. Right. So mm -hmm. imagine you sponsor somebody, you married somebody, and then you know, you sponsor the you sponsor the person to come to Canada and then the relationship breaks down. Now, you know, you have gone separate ways and you know, you have fallen you know, fallen in love with another person, you know. So it may you may have experienced some complications in trying to sponsor another person, right? So, yeah, so this must be understood. Uh, for a lot of people, they, you know, coming to Canada, immigrating or coming to study or coming for whatever reason, you know, could be quite expensive, right? And because of that, people pull funds, so maybe they get help from family members, brothers, mm -hmm. sisters, or parents, or some. So that's you know, okay, right? Like, know, that's not a big deal. I mean, it depends, right? So if you are a student, for example, right, you want to study in Canada. So if your parents, yeah, your parents can undertake to support your studies in Canada, to fund your studies, that is okay, right? So as long as uh, when you are doing that, you have to be able to prove the relationship, right? So between yourself and the person who is undertaking to sponsor you, and also the person who is also sponsoring you, um, we have to show this, you know, the source or sources of their income. Yeah, understand. So, is it from business? Is it from employment and things like that, right? So, yeah. So, and of course, one of the ways you show that uh, you need to present bank statements. That's one of the ways you show yeah. proof of funds. So, of course, if you have letters or confirmation of employment, pay slips and things like that, and if you have some assets, you know, evidence of those assets and things like that, right? Of course, evidence of relationship could be birth certificates. 
Yeah, there could be some other documents, you know, to show that, you know, this is the relationship, right? But having said that, uh, one of the mistakes that a lot of people make when they're applying for study permit is the, is the fact that, you know, maybe a few weeks before the application, then they gathered a lot of money. That's and put the money. Some <laughs> lump sum amount into their oh accounts. Right? Yeah. So when the visa office when the visa officers are reviewing these applications, they do go through your bank statements. So yeah. if they see that uh, you know for the last three months, you know, you've only been having one hundred dollars every two weeks in your account and all of a sudden you know, you got $100,000, right? Yeah, it's so, questionable. Yeah, yeah, so you may have to give some explanation, you know. Absolutely, to similar to buying yeah. a house. Like, you know, they look through all your records yeah. when you're buying a house. And yeah. then, you know, maybe your 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 income has been, or the incoming funds have been consistent. And then all of a sudden, there's like a $20,000 yeah. deposit, like two days before you go to buy the house. Yeah. So they're going to ask questions. So it yeah. makes sense. Sorry, yeah. just to add. And I've go seen ahead. some instances too where, you know, like uh, people had lump sum amount in, on their bank, you know, on their bank statement. But the money came from another account that they owned, right? Because it's possible for somebody to have, uh, to have multiple... Okay. Multiple bank Multiple accounts, bank accounts right? with different so, institutions. Exactly, yeah. right? So, but when you are submitting your application, you have to make sure that you explain that in advance, right? Because the visa officer will surely see that. So if you don't explain that, the officer may not give you an opportunity to explain because, of course, you have yeah. to bear in mind that these officers, they deal with a lot of applications and they You're only busy. have a limited amount of time to spend on your own application. Mm -hmm. So you have to put yourself in their shoes and make sure that you explain some of these things right up front right yeah. you know because i have a client recently for example you know the application it was a very strong application but the application was refused you know because of you know the same issue that we talked about and then when she contacted me oh they refused my application then i said okay let's look into this right so i contacted immigration and i got more information about the refuser and then one of the things they mentioned there is that you know there was lump sum deposit in this account Right. Oh, wow. Un unexplained lump sum deposit in this account yeah. on this date. Right? Then I called the client. I asked, so how did you come about this money? So she said, oh, yeah, it was just a transfer from one of my accounts to this account. I said, okay. Yeah, and then we explained mm. that and we reapplied again and we're successful. Right? So, yeah, pay attention That's to it. that. I'm wondering if you can share with us anything that has changed to the immigration stream coming to Canada because of COVID. One thing that uh, most people will notice is the fact that uh, most applications take, you know, way, way longer, longer, longer than usual, right? So, and this is very frustrating, particularly you have some people, you know, who even people are already in Canada. So maybe they lost their status and now they applied to restore their status. But unfortunately, because of this, you know, backlog of applications that uh, immigration is dealing with, and because since the pandemic, you know, people have been working remotely, and they say they, are, they say that they have been working on reduced capacity, so which means that uh, you know they have limited resources to process applications. And in the middle of all these things, too, Afghanistan happened. The situation in Afghanistan, yes, right? so and Canada right. committed to bringing, I think, about forty thousand people from Afghanistan. So bear in mind, when Canada made this commitment, they did not increase their capacity at the same time, right? The capacity That's of, right. Uh, in terms of the number of officers processing applications, right? Mm -hmm. So what is happening is that, uh, you know, um, Canada has diverted, diverted some of the resources, right? You know, existing resources 
towards addressing the issues in Afghanistan. So because of that, applications are taking longer than usual. So it's very frustrating, you know, for most applicants and of course for me as well. It's very frustrating because, you know, I yeah, because your clients them, are frustrated you know. and, yeah. you know, everybody's so, frustrated. But we got to yeah. be patient, guys. These yeah. are just difficult times for everybody. So yeah. we yeah. just have to be patient. Yeah, and the other part of that is also, I mean, for people who are applying, you know, for those programs managed through the express entry system, right? Like a Federal Ski Worker program or the Federal Ski Trades, right? So those programs, you get points for age, right? So if you were 44, you know, last year, you know, at the, oh, you yeah. know, when the pandemic was just starting and uh, because Canada has uh, not really has kind of put that program on hold for a while now because of this, uh, of the pandemic, right? So, you know, we have all become, everyone has become a year older since that time, right? Since yeah. the pandemic began. So there are some people now who may, not, who may no longer meet the requirements or they may not get points for age. Because if you are 45 or 46 and above, you don't get points for age, right? So if you were 44, when you got into when the they pool need and to then, freeze your age. They need and, to be, they need to just then, freeze the age of the applicants. Yeah, and then the pandemic happened and now you are older. So yeah, it's got a lot of implications for, yeah. for people, for sure. Yeah. So what are some realities that people should expect or you would like people to know before they come here? Yeah, well, yeah, that's a great question actually, because um, people, like I said earlier, so when people decided to come to Canada, you know, it's a huge decision that they, they, they are making. Of course, they have to uproot themselves from their home countries, from their friends and families. You know, they are leaving a job behind. So I think I would say that people have to be very realistic, right, uh, when they want to come to Canada, right? So you are coming to a new country, you will have some challenges, right, in terms of integ integrating into this new country, right? So you may, you know, face some barriers in terms of the job market, because of course, right, just like in every country, in, in any country, right? So for example, in, in, in a place like Nigeria, now if you, if I, you know, if you study law in Canada or maybe in any other yeah. country, and you go to Nigeria, you want to practice law, right? You cannot just start to practice law. You can't just get yeah. into Nigeria and start to practice law. So the Nigerian Bar Association or the bodies responsible for legal education in Nigeria, they have a process in place, right? So you may have to go to the Nigerian law school and things like that. I know people who went to study medicine, right, in Eastern Europe and some other countries, right? And then they went back to Nigeria, they want to practice in Nigeria. So the Medical and Dental Council of Nigeria, they have procedures in place, right? Yeah. So you have to write some exams. So the same thing applies for certain professions when you come to Canada, right? So yeah, maybe you're a lawyer in Nigeria or in Ghana or whichever country, you know, and now, you want to fund, you know, you are in Canada and you want to practice your profession in Canada. So you might have to go through some processes, yeah. some so exams, some and, you know, so some sacrifices along the way, right? So being, real, <clears throat> being realistic, I think is very important. And also I think being open-minded is also very important, right? Because when you come into a new country, maybe, you know, you find yourself in this province, you know, the province has a very different economy, you know, maybe, you know, you may have to change your career, your career, you may have to get some certifications or some form of, you know, new education in order to enhance your prospect in the job market and things like that. So, you know, being open to that, being flexible, I think is very, very important as well, right? So, and uh, I think also very important is networking. 
right? Go out there, reach out to people, you know, meet people because uh, that is how you put, you know, your story out there for people maybe mm -hmm. in a position to help you. Because if you are always, you know, in your little corner, nobody knows that you exist really. Right? So yeah, if you're in your little corner, you... nobody knows you. Exactly, right? That's so just it. go out there, meet people, you know, volunteer, participate in what, in different activities in the community and that is how you get to know people and you integrate better into the society that way and ultimately you know so that would be to your advantage so those are some of the yeah, things you we need to, yeah so just basically i don't think anyone should expect that i come to canada right now within three weeks you know i start a job in my car in You'll my be field, balling, you know, money and all of that so you know, yeah yeah so that is possible to Nigeria. yeah i'm not saying that is not possible but i mean it is not often the case right so i think in most cases it is it i takes, think it's for uh, sure not possible David, yeah. to, well, to be you know people have that kind of money in three weeks yeah people have different experiences but uh, just be prepared that uh, you know it may take yeah. you a little longer you know but uh, if you don't give up i think in the end right you know it's uh, something you know worth it absolutely definitely worth it so i'm closing our conversation now and uh want to want you to share just one key advice that you would like people to take away from today's conversation about immigrating to Canada? I would say that uh, whoever is considering immigrating to Canada, um, they need to make sure that uh, they speak with the right people, with the right person. That is very important, right? Because, uh, you know, if you find yourself with the wrong people, of course, you can lose your money and uh, the, you may not achieve your goal, right? So, Talk to the right people so that they educate you about the process. And maybe before you even talk to the to the right person, to do some research, right, so that when you talk to that person, you are able to ask some good questions, right? So Absolutely. that is what I would suggest. Yeah, if I, can I add something? So earlier of when course. I talked about a job offer in Canada, so yes, in many cases you need labor. Your employer will need to get labor market impact assessment (LMI) in order to give you a valid job offer. But there are some cases, very few cases, where you may not, the employer may not require a labor market impact assessment. One of such cases is under the caregiver program. So I think in 2019, the government established the caregiver pilot program. It's a five-year program. So essentially, under this program, if you are an employer in Canada, you want to hire somebody to come and do caregiving duties for you for example to look after kids or to take care of somebody with disability or a senior right so uh you may not necessarily have to get a labor market impact assessment however that employer has to demonstrate to the government that uh, he or she has a need for a caregiver right so do you have kids who need caregiver or do you have uh, parents you know seniors or people with disabilities in your home who need uh, the caregiver right so that is one and then two you must also demonstrate that you have the means to pay for the services of a caregiver right so yeah. you have to show through your income if you employ somebody to work as a caregiver in canada you have to pay at, the, at least you have to pay the minimum wage right so if your annual salary is 60 your annual income is sixty thousand dollars Right. Yeah. So can you employ somebody can to work for you full time, full -time as a caregiver? So probably the answer will be no, right? No. So yes, you may be yeah. able to hire somebody under the caregiver program, the caregiver pilot program without a labor market impact assessment, but you must meet other requirements of the program, right? So which includes demonstrating the need for a caregiver and also showing that you have the means to pay a caregiver. Okay. 
Thank you so much, David. I really appreciate our conversation. It's very valuable and I believe it has tons of information that will support people looking to come over here. Can you now share with us your contact information? Anybody that wants to, you know, get in touch with you, ask more questions, perhaps hire your services, where can they find more information about you? To reach us, you can contact us via our website. If you go to our website, it's Crest Immigration Services Canada. So go to our website. You can fill out uh, a form there and then you can we'll get in touch with you. You can also send us an email info at crestimmigration.ca and you can also contact us by phone or via whatsapp at uh, 587-974-8942 587-974-8942 excellent you. thank you so much david yeah, yeah so this has been an amazing conversation i just want to say thank you so much again for being here with me today yeah thanks ij yeah, thanks for having me i enjoyed this conversation and hopefully your listeners will benefit from this as well absolutely Hey friends, thank you so much for listening to the very end of this conversation. I hope that you enjoyed it and I truly hope that inspired you. If you enjoyed the conversation, please consider rating wherever you listen and connect with me on social media with what you enjoyed or maybe something that you did not enjoy that you would like to see in another conversation. So connect with me with a comment and your feedback. Let's keep continuing to do and inspiring to do what is right and kind. I'll see you in the next episode.